in it. Open up to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. If you didn't bring a Bible today, just lift your hand up and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible. Um, If you don't have one at all, please write your name in one. Take this home as our gift to you. Um, But if you just left yours at home, you can just leave it in your seat at the end of service and we'll be glad to pick it up. So with your hands raised, we can get a Bible to you. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 through 21 is where we're going to start the conversation today. From the fruit of a person's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is filled with the product of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We've been walking through the book of Proverbs line by line, and some of you may know that the book of Proverbs kind of takes a detour after Proverbs chapter 9. The authors kind of lay down a solid case of what this whole book is about. And Pastor Jake reminded us last week that this isn't a book on just how to live a life. This isn't just a book full of wisdom and practical tips. This is the book to remind us that the beginning of wisdom is really the fear of the Lord. To fear him, to know him, to trust him, to walk behind him is what it means to know him and to be wise. And so all of our wisdom will unite, all flat, all of our plans will fall flat, all of our morality will fail us if we are not united with Jesus. But as even Aaron said today in the baptism, that making a decision to follow Jesus is the beginning of a journey. Amen? You must decide every day to follow Jesus. It is not a one and done commitment. It is something that we must choose to do every day. And so God, in his infinite wisdom and grace to us, tells us how to do that. We don't have to figure out the Christian life by ourselves. We don't have to guess at what God requires from us. He actually gives us instructions and commands on how to live as his people on this earth. And Proverbs is a book full of that wisdom from the Lord. So to God's people, we're going to begin with words and how we use those words. So how many people remember playing childhood games growing up? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little surprised I'm still alive today because of the games I played growing up. <laughs> Some of y'all are joking. Y'all, y'all remember playing football in the street? That's a terrible idea. Why are we doing it now? There's parks and playgrounds, but we're playing football in the street, playing tackle football. Now, raise your hand if you play tackle football in the street. Come on now, be honest. There we go. Miranda. <laughs> we're playing tackle football in the street. I'm talking about scars and cuts and bruises. Those things that were dangerous that we did because we thought they were fun. What about extreme tag? Not just regular tag, but extreme tag. Like, my life was going to end if I get tagged. I'm jumping through traffic. I'm hopping bushes. I'm breaking in people's houses. I'm doing whatever I got to do so no one tags me. The things that we do are just ridiculous. Like, these are things that could kill us and hurt us, but in the moment, we think it's just fun. One of my favorites, um, Red Rover, Red Rover violence. Sin. <laughs> that game was invented just for violence. There's no point in the game. There's no winners in the game of Red Rover. There's only violence. But in talking about today's message, today's passage, we're going to talk about how we could use our words. And so I, childhood games kind of came to my mind because this is the thing that we teach children. This is what you should say. This is what you shouldn't say. This is what's polite to say. This was impolite to say. And those things are good. But somehow as adults, we kind of lose our moorings. We kind of lose our way and our words are more often used to hurt than to help. The game I think about when it comes to our words, is the game of red light, green light. Y'all play that game? It's a less violent of a game, probably safer, 
of a game. Probably there's a way we could probably make it violent. Um, but red light, green light. You run as fast as you can when someone says green light. And then when they say red light, you got to stop on a dime. And if you move past that, then you're out. And the goal is to run as fast as you can when it's green light and to stop immediately when it's red light. So these childhood games are, are fun and they're illustrative. But honestly, I think that's how we should treat a lot of our words is red light, green light words. There are some words and some phrases and how we talk to one another that we should stop immediately. These are red light words that are hurting ourselves and hurting those around us and hurting our witness to those who are watching us. And then honestly, there's some green light words that words we should say more often. Words that we should say more of to one another. And so in the book of Proverbs, it talks a lot about speech. I mean, I printed out four pages just of scriptures about speech. And so we're not going to cover all that the book of Proverbs has to say about how we should talk to one another. But I'm going to hopefully, from God's word, share some things that are particular to us as a people, as Radiant Church. These are some words that should be red lights and then some words that are green lights. So let's go with the red light words first. What are some words and some language and some speech that we should stop immediately? There's three of them. There's three types of words. Words that are private, words that are piercing, and words that are perverted. Words that are private, words that are piercing, and words that are perverted. These are red light words. We should stop immediately. Let me unpack what each one of these means. Proverbs 11, 13. We're going to be scouring the book of Proverbs, so feel free to, to turn along, but many of these scriptures will be on the screen behind me as well. What are private words? Proverbs eleven thirteen, a gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. One of the many, many, probably the most, uh, the, many, the most verses about speech is about gossip and slander in the book of Proverbs, about being trusted with something, and that we betray that trust by telling someone else. Now, I know we're all good Christian folks. We would never do that. So let me tell you how it happens. I'm breaking down, make it real plain for us. Hey, did you hear about, such, about sister such and such? No, what happened? Ooh, you need to pray for her. Why? Well, she told me. Sound familiar? We disguise gossip as a, as a prayer request. I just want you to have more information so you can pray. You know what I'm saying? So maybe we're not out here in the street just tweeting and talking about every single business, but we tend we send to be less private when it comes to words. Even in Christian circles, we betray trust even when we're not meaning to. We betray a confidence when we're not meaning to. You know, the, the, the definition for the Hebrew word for gossip actually is a repeater. Someone who repeats. Proverbs 17.9, look at this one. It says, whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. Now, our typical understanding of gossip is I'm repeating something someone said to someone else. Y'all still with me? But the Bible would say repeating it even to the person who told you can be harmful. To the people that are closest around us, do we repeat back to them their own failures more often than we should? Do we help people rehearse all the times that they've hurt us, all the times that they've disappointed us? Do we oftentimes repeat back to them the sins that they've committed against us? Or, as Proverbs 17 says, are we able to conceal an offense to promote love? The Bible says in other places that a, that a gentle answer turns away wrath and love covers a multitude of sins. 
Now, I'm not talking about covering for someone's abuse. I'm not talking about illegality, people breaking the law. I'm talking about a husband or a wife or a friend or a best friend who disappointed you, who legitimately hurt you, who legitimately said, I'm sorry, and who's legitimately trying to make it right, but you keep repeating back to them over and over and over the offense that they did. Got real quiet now. That's all right. So being a gossip, according to the scriptures, isn't just someone who betrays the confidence of another person, but it's someone who repeats over and over and over the offenses of someone. The damage isn't just done when we tell others, but even when we repent the, repeat the offense over and over to the person, we bring a separation, a separation between relationships. So there's a love that conceals, and there is words that are private that should stay private. What another red light words is piercing words. Piercing words. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one who speaks rashly, like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is one who speaks rashly or suddenly or without thought, the word means. Here's how you know this is one of those words that you need to stop. If you find yourself consistently saying, oh, man, I did not mean to say that. I was just so angry. There are some of us who give ourselves a license to say hurtful and piercing words because we're so angry. Because we just lost control. And some of us even say, man, I just, I can't control what I say when I'm mad. I just got so mad. You know, for the Christian, there's no such thing as blackout angry. You know that, right? For the Christian, there's no such thing. Because you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have a new nature and a new heart. So that's the decision that you made to give room for the flesh rather than submit to the power of the Spirit at work in you. And so some of our words are so piercing because they're thoughtless words. The words said carelessly. And we may feel like we have a good excuse. But the Bible would say that we are unwise because the wise bring healing with their words. So here's what this looks like. When someone, when you're in an altercation, an argument with a friend, a loved one, a spouse, a child, do you feel the back and forth in the conversation? You go, then I go. You did this, but you did that. Is there a back and forth? Or is there a desire to actually come together? I don't care if I'm right. I don't care if you're right. I want God to be right in the situation. Is that the disposition that we have in our conversation? Or is it I'm going to win? And if I have to hurt you to win, I will. Now, we don't ever mean it that way, but in the moment, it feels almost righteous, doesn't it? Because you're wrong. And if I'm loving you, I bring tell you that you're wrong. The words we use are piercing, not to bring healing, not to help that person grow in holiness, but so that we can defend ourselves and make them feel the way we felt. We should stop. These are red light words, words that are piercing. Lastly, words that are private, words that are piercing. Lastly, thirdly, words that are perverse, words that are perverse. Now, I'm not talking about the typical um, understanding of perversion, sexual immorality, although the Bible would tell us to stay away from crude talk and speech. But perverse, then the biblical definition is twisted. Something that's twisted. Let me show you it in the scriptures. Proverbs 8, 8. All the words from my mouth, wisdom here talking, are righteous. None of them are deceptive or perverse. 
Now, how the scriptures is using that word right here isn't meaning that it's crude or sexually immoral. It's saying that it's twisted words, words that are deceiving. You know, the best lies have a little bit of truth in them. Best lie. I did college ministry for many years. Praise God for those who are still in doing college ministry. <laughs> Amen. If you are doing college ministry, I, Lord be with you. May the Lord keep you and guide you. Because um, that's hard stuff, man, because a lot of stuff is just happening at that age of life. One of my favorite conversations in college ministry is the I think I found my spouse conversation. It's one of my favorites. Because it's like a script that people follow. They know what I need to hear. They think I, they know what I need to hear for me to sign off on it. So they tell the story just the right way so they can get my approval. Brother, oh, y'all, come on, brothers. I'm going to put y'all on blast right now. Ladies, I'm coming for you next. <laughs> so the brother walks in, and he's like, man, I think I found her. I think, I think she's the one. I say, great, man, awesome. Marriage is a good thing. Tell me about her. Here's how I know. The first thing out of their mouth is, man, she just helps me grow so much as a Christian. Nope. Stop. <laughs> Stop. That's not what caught your attention was her holiness. I appreciate you phrasing this conversation this way, because you think that's what I want to hear, but that's not what caught your attention. But you know, as somebody who I'm committed to your soul, I'm committed to you growing in Christ, you, this is what Philip wants to hear, so let me, just, let me just package this conversation just right so he can say yes at the end of it. Ladies, y'all ready? Because y'all come at it a little bit different. Y'all come at it a little bit different. Usually, it's, it's, y'all get real, real prophetic when, uh, when marriage time comes. <laughs> you know, Philip, I, I had this dream <laughs> that a guy with a blue shirt walked up to me, and don't you know, this guy walked up to me, and guess what color his shirt was? <laughs> it must be. You get real spooky when it comes to relationships. You ain't had a vision or a prophecy your whole life, but all of a sudden... When it's marriage time, you just walking with the Lord. <laughs> but that's how we do it, right? We, we twist the story just right to get the approval, the recognition of other people. And that's what perverse speech does. It doesn't, it's not an outright lie. It's enough truth where you could defend it if you had to. But if you were talking to somebody else, you would say it differently. And the Bible is actually is admonishing us to stay away from perverse speech. To don't twist the truth to get the result that we want. Don't twist the details of the story to get the, story, to get the result that we want. Kids, man, and children do this all the time. Well, Dad, remember how you said, don't, anytime a child reminds you of what you said first, the setup is coming, <laughs> right? The setup is coming. You told me now to stand up if somebody did something wrong. Well, my teacher was wrong. Didn't say that, right? So they, they tell the story in such a way, they frame it in such a way, and that's what perverse speech does. It's, it takes a little bit of truth, and it twists it so that we get the result that we want. And here's why that's so dangerous, y'all. Here's why that's so dangerous. If you have a mentor or a friend or someone who you are really looking for their, their permission, maybe you are looking for that spouse, maybe you are looking for that relationship, and you come to someone that you know you love and you trust, and you don't tell them the truth, You've only hurt yourself. You've only hurt yourself. So many times, and I've seen this far too often, year two, year three of marriage, 
something comes up, and then the pastor who did the premarital counseling or the friends who were walking alongside them say, man, if I would have known that happened before y'all got married, I, I probably would have given you some different advice. So we actually hurt ourselves when we try to get the result we want because we say, God, I can't trust that you're going to work this out, so let me take the initiative here. God, I can't trust that your people that you put in my life are out for my good, and so let me put myself in the driver's seat here. Perverse sweets twist the truth and put you in the driver's seat of your life, and we know that's not good. We know when we are in control, we wreck the car every time. When we get to decide our lives, it never works out. Perverse speech tries to put ourselves back in the driver's seat and dictate our terms of a relationship to others. Red light speech, sharing speech that is private, words that are piercing, and stories that are perverse and twisted. So those things we should stop immediately. They are hurting us, they're hurting our community, hurting our fellowship. Something we say often here at Radiant Church is that we are not like a family, we we are a family. We can't be family if we don't tell each other the truth. We can't be family if we're not trusted to keep in confidence the struggles of your brothers and sisters. We can't be a family if we use words that are hurtful for whatever reason, words that are piercing. So then what should we say? We can't just be silent all the time. So what should we say? What are some green light words, words that we should run as far and as fast as we can with these words? And there's three of those as well because we're good Baptists here. Words that are even-tempered, words that are timely, and words that are true. Words that are even-tempered, words that are timely, and words that are true. What do I mean by even-tempered? Proverbs 17, 27. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all. I saw this quote a long time ago that knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it. Sometimes, and I'm guilty of this more than, more than most, is we try to play the role of the Holy Spirit. We see some deficiency in someone else's life, and because we notice it, we think that gives us tacit permission to expose it. Well, maybe God gave us that perspective in someone's life so that we could pray for them. Circumstances to share that. Now, there are some sins that we need to rush into brother's defense. Sins of violence, sins of abuse, sins that are, that are harming themselves or others. There are times we got to rush in. But a lot of times, the times we don't have to rush in. We see something going on in somebody's life. Our first response should be to pray for wisdom, say, Lord, what should I do with this information? We should use restraint in our words. When people do evil to us and say things to us, our first response shouldn't be to lash back, but to restrain our words. I struggle with sarcasm. I say struggle, I think it's okay, but <laughs> my wife would say I struggle with sarcasm. I think it's hilarious. She thinks it's offensive. So there we go. There it is. And so sometimes I, I'm, I'm the one-liner king. I got a jab locked and loaded for everybody in this church. <laughs> At any time, I can just whip this thing out. And so I've learned that I can't let me be me in moments. 
that there are times when somebody says something and I can whip it out. But you know what? I, I don't think what I'm going to say is going to come out right, so I'm just not going to say anything at all. There are, we talk about in our membership class how to receive correction from other people. One of the things that we encourage brothers and sisters to do is when you're receiving correction from somebody else, is to just not say anything at all. Somebody walks up to me and says, hey, man, like, I, you know, I heard you talking on the phone yesterday, and it sounds like you were just saying crazy stuff. Man, I don't think that speech is becoming of a Christian and a Christian leader. Man, maybe there's some opportunities for you to grow in that area. Okay. Thanks, brother. I'll, I'll take that. I'll pray for that. Now, in my mind, maybe they're dead wrong. Maybe that wasn't me at all they heard on the phone. Maybe it was somebody around the corner. But in that moment, I haven't yet figured out a way sometimes to defend myself without attacking someone else. And maybe you've got there. But oftentimes when I try to defend myself, it feels like I'm attacking the other person. And so what I've learned is restraint in that moment of saying, okay, I've got something to say, but let me filter this. Let me sit with this. Let me restrain myself by the power of the Spirit. Because what come out may not, be, may not come out well. So even tempered means restraint. Also, sometimes it means silence altogether. Proverbs 10, 19, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. I feel like we're picking on college ministry today, so I'll stay there. If you're working with young people, how do you get them to tell what's really going on? You let them keep talking. That's true for everybody, if we're honest. You just let people talk long enough, and they'll end up telling you the truth. But sometimes, if we let ourselves talk long enough, we end up saying something we don't really mean. That's why Proverbs tells us that where there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. Sometimes restraint looks like silence. I mean, saying what needs to be said and no more. On the other side of receiving correction, maybe you're giving correction. Maybe you don't need to repeat the correction 72 times for them to get it. Maybe they got it the first time, and now you're just piercing them with your words. Now you're just condemning them with your repetition. Maybe they already know the mistakes they made and the things that they're struggling with, and really what they need is someone to not amen their mistakes, but to encourage their strengths in the Lord. Rather than just babbling, we should pray for wisdom, and sometimes wisdom looks like silence and restraint. So that was what it means to be even-tempered, green-light words, words that we should do immediately. What's the next thing? Timely, even-tempered words, also timely words. This one's a little fun. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in silver settings. A timely word. Has anyone ever been in a hard place in life and someone, maybe a friend, maybe a relative, maybe a pastor, someone said just the right thing at the right time? Just write what you needed when you needed it. Do you remember that feeling? Because when someone says something that's the right thing at the right time, you don't, don't just feel encouraged by them. You feel encouraged by God himself. Because how could they know? How could they really know the depths of the impact of what they just said? And so the Bible says that's a sweet thing. Is to say the right thing at the right time, which is otherworldly, y'all. We are not that smart. I am not that smart to be able to say the right thing at the right time. But we can pray and ask the Lord for wisdom 
Let me give you some encouragement. When you go into hard situations of death or sickness or pain, that should be your prayer. Lord, give me the words to say and tell me when the right time is to say it. Maybe for the first week or two, you just sit there with somebody and hear from them and to pray with them and encourage them. Maybe you walk into a situation and the Lord gives you a a clear word of encouragement, but maybe it's not for right now. And so you wait on the timing of the Lord because then it'll minister to them and also encourage them in their faith. Proverbs, this is what I love, Proverbs puts it like this in Proverbs 27, 14. If one blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. Any morning people in here? Everybody hates you. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a morning person, but I have to be, right? And so I have to get up early. Um, I'm more of a night person, if I'm be honest. I love being up at night. I feel like my brain works better at night, but the, the demands of the day re- require that I wake up early. Um, but there's a, the Bible is talking about a sense of timing, y'all. A sense of timing. Even a blessing given too early in the morning would be counted as a curse. Some of us, uh, we like to hide behind this truth barrier, right? We stand for truth. All my social media warriors, right? ready to fight anybody and everybody about anything. There's a timing to truth, amen. You can say the right thing the wrong way, and it'll be the wrong thing to say. There's a timing for this. So don't just say, well, I told them the truth. If they don't like it, that's on them. No, that's on you. Because you didn't hear from the Lord. You took the place of the Lord acting as the Holy Spirit. So even good things, even truthful things need a place and a time to be received well. You hear the recurring theme here, y'all? We're talking about a moment-by-moment dependency on the Lord for life itself, for conversation itself. I find myself praying and more conversations throughout the day than I ever have because of these truths. People call me, people text me, and the same thing happens to you. People call you in the middle of a crisis and you don't know what to say. It's okay. Pray. In that moment, say, Lord, give me wisdom. I don't know what to say and I don't know when to say it. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. This is what the Lord is calling in all of these commands. He's calling us back to him. The last thing, even-tempered words, timely words, the last green light words, words that we should use all the time are true words. Proverbs 12, 19 says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. Here we find the peak of the wisdom of Proverbs. With eternity in view, we are commended to tell people the truth. Now, truth is a fluid concept, it seems like, in our day and age. You've got to speak your truth. You've got to tell your truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. Um, And some of that is harmless. Some of that is really just, they just mean your story, right? Tell your story. Some of that really, they really do mean your truth. But (laughs) y'all, truth is not just objective, verifiable facts, but truth is a person. That's why you can't have your truth and I have my truth. There is one truth. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so to speak the truth doesn't just mean to say things that are true according to verifiable fact. It means to speak words that align with the very person and work of Jesus Christ. We should be truth tellers, y'all. And that means more than correcting people. Let me say that again. 
That means more than correcting people. To speak the truth devoid of Jesus isn't speaking the truth at all. For he is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And here we run up against the insurpassable barrier. Because if we were to follow all of these things, if we were to speak the truth, at best we would seem wise. God, wise. So he doesn't just speak wisely. He is wisdom. He doesn't just do good. He is good. And so as far as our morality will take us, it will not take us to God. You can follow all of these principles. You can do these red light words. You're going to run away from words that are perverse, words that are piercing. You can run towards the green light words, words that are well-timed, even tempered and true. You can do all of those things and it will not get you any closer to God. Why? Because of what we just read, that there is only one way to the Father. And it's not your morality. It's not your good works. It's not keeping these commandments. It is Jesus himself. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. We, talk, we started talking about childish games. I don't play football on the street anymore, y'all. I'm be honest with y'all. I'm not playing extreme tag anymore. And if we play in Red Rover, somebody clothesline me, it's a problem. Right? There's a time and a place for these games. Being a grown man is not one of those times. Being an adult, you put away childish things. What we're talking about is putting spiritually immature things away. Losing your temper and saying piercing words is a spiritually immature thing we need to put away. Using perverse speech to twist the story to get the right result is a childish thing that we should put away. Not telling people the truth for fear of their response is a spiritually childish thing that we should put away. Seeking the wisdom of God on when to say and what to say is a spiritually mature thing that we should put on. So this isn't about playing games. This actually means more than that. Remember what we read in Proverbs chapter 18? Go back to it. Verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, this is hyperbole, y'all. Let me clear up some misunderstanding about this verse. This does not mean that you have the power to create the world around you according to your liking. I grew up in a, in a church background where you couldn't even admit that you were sick. Because the moment you say it, it becomes real. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. You got to confess good things. You can't say anything bad things. Because the moment you say it, it becomes real. That is not true. God said, and there was. We say, and it was what it was before we said it. <laughs> That's just facts. The author is trying to use hyperbole, which is something we use in everyday life. When we call somebody a grammar Nazi, we're not really meaning that they're a Nazi. We're using hyperbole to say they should chill out. So the author is using that same technique. It's using an exaggeration to get to a point. It's not like your death and your life are in the power of your tongue. It means your words have consequences. It means what you say actually can affect people. We talk about childish games and the scars that I have from playing street football and the scars that I have from playing extreme tag. 
You know what's the, probably the most dangerous thing that we did as children? We said and believed things like sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt us. That is not true. Some of us are still wounded from the words we heard years ago. Some of us are still trying to dig ourselves out of the hole of the words that were said, and sometimes more powerfully, the words that were never said from those who we needed to tell us. And so words may not be life and death, man, but they hurt and they can heal. And so it's not about games. It's really no laughing matter. These are talking about words to live by. Green light words are words that we should live by. Red light words are words that are killing us and others. We should be people who are spiritually mature enough to realize that what we say has an impact on those around us. And although we may feel justified in saying it, ultimately our standard is God's perfection and his holiness. And he calls us to live a life modeling well what it means to love others. Turn to this one. I want you to see this. It's not going to be on the screen. Proverbs 13, chapter 3. I want you to see this in the Bible, and we'll end here. Words to live by, life and death. Proverbs 13, 3 says, The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. So although our words don't have creative power, we are not God. They sure do have an impact. And sometimes it ruins our own plans for ourselves just by the words that come out of our mouth. The words that come out of our mouth. I grew up in a respect culture where respect was the most important thing. And maintaining that respect was worth dying for and worth killing for. So we were willing to throw our lives away because we were disrespected by somebody at the line at Chick-fil-A. Well, not at Chick-fil-A. You don't get disrespected at Chick-fil-A. The line at, <laughs> line at Bojangles, right? Someplace else. Some other non-Christian chicken place. <laughs> Chick-fil-A is not Christian, y'all. It's just, anyway. But I grew up in that, that where that was accepted, that was even applauded. How you recklessly threw your life away because somebody disrespected you. Now we're all a little more clean cut. We got, you know, we got degrees now. We're a little more sophisticated. But that, that ember of fire is still burning deep within us. And the moment we feel disrespected, we're willing to risk it all. Because you're not going to talk to me like that. You're not going to treat me any kind of way. If you had to guess, do you think that's spiritual maturity or spiritual immaturity? You know it is. This is the call today in the book of Proverbs. It's to go from spiritual infancy to put those childish things away and to grow into spiritual maturity by realizing that your words have power and other people's words don't have to have as much. Other words, other people's words don't have to have a hold on you. The affirmation or the lack thereof doesn't have to determine how you feel about yourself. Someone's applause or someone's silence doesn't have to determine how you view yourself. Why? Because God has already said how he feels about you. And so whose words do you hear loudest in your mind? His words or the words of someone else? 
his approval through Christ Jesus or others' approval? His love for us or others not treating us the, feel, the way that we feel like we deserve to be treated? Because that's what it boils down to. We feel like we deserve to be treated. Oftentimes people ask me, hey, man, Phil, how you doing? And they think I'm, I'm saying it as a cliche, but I really do mean this, and it's a helpful reminder to me. That's why I say it all the time. As people ask me, how you doing? I say, better than I deserve. You've heard me say that. Hey, man, how you doing? Better than I deserve. It's really not a cliche, y'all. It's a reminder for me that I've already gotten today, even if I just opened my eyes for the very first time, I've already gotten from the Lord today more than I deserve. So everything else that happens today is, is a bonus. Everything else that happens is a bonus. So I'm not walking into the room demanding people treat me in such a way because I've already got all that I need from God today. Other people's words don't have the impact on me that they would have because I've already gotten all that I need from God today. I can live free today because God's already met me by waking me up, by maintaining his hold on my life and my soul, by giving me a promise that cannot be shaken. That is enough. So I walk knowing that my words matter, but other people's words don't have to matter as much because what God has said is the final word. 